report has two parts. It outlines a literature review of previous uh, conflicts and the types of environmental issues. And then we've got a bit which talks about, at the time, what we knew about um, the damage to infrastructure, you know, uh, fuel depots, um, major industry, chemical plants, the issue of waste, wastewater, etc. So what we do know is that there has been significant damage to infrastructure. Um, from our figures from December, uh, where we work with UNEP partners, um, they have actually registered 582 facilities, which include industrial or critical infrastructure, which have been targeted, and there have been 1,121 incidents reported. And of those, um, two-thirds are from direct physical damage. So we I can't tell you what the breakdown of those particular uh, infrastructure that's been damaged, but I can tell you we know a lot about uh, when you have impacts on, you know, fuel and energy infrastructure, on chemical plants, on storage of radioactive wastes, on tailings, dams, on wastewater treatment, treatment systems and water pipes, etc., you have multiple environmental issues occurring in a single area. How does UNEP actually monitor the situation on the ground? It might be very, very hard right now, given the circumstances. It is. So it's very hard. And so we work with partners. So we work with other UN entities. And we also work with the um, government of Ukraine, the State Environment Inspectorate of Ukraine. And we also gather information from a whole range of different sources, uh, from NGOs, uh, etc. And so uh, we're, we're gathering information, we're helping to build uh, data platforms with the Ukrainian government. And actually, we've also organised training for Ukrainian experts on contaminated site assessment, because many of the facilities that have been damaged will have caused contamination of land and water. Uh, and when you're trying to bring people back, you're recovering the environment, you've got to do an assessment as to what the potential risks are one of the uh, risks that we identified in our report was that a lot of the roofs of um, housing in Ukraine is asbestos. So as soon as you've got damage to roofs, of course, you've got an issue of asbestos, you need to assess that and assess what the potential risks are of that. Can you give me any specific example, the event that uh, in course of this war brought significant, the most significant maybe destruction to nature? Is there any... No. Uh, there's probably not one incident that you could actually talk about, but, you know, we've seen damage across many regions of the country. We've had incidents at power plants. We've got destruction of at least, you know, a, a large proportion of um, power stations. And as soon as you destroy all of that infrastructure, then you have the issue for how you run your businesses. So we've had oil storage tankers, oil refineries, drilling platforms, gas facilities, distribution pipelines, uh, mines and industrial sites, agricultural processing facilities. There've been a number of um, incidents where we've had ammonia released uh, in particular areas. So it's very hard to say whether one area is more significant than another. 
I think once we collate the data across the regions where we've got multiple impacts on multiple types of infrastructure. So if you think about it, if you've had um, wastewater infrastructure, you know, your sewage facilities, etc. So they've been damaged. And then you've got chemical storage or agricultural facilities nearby and they've been damaged. And then you've got fuel infrastructure and it's been damaged. And then you've got the complexity of the munitions, the debris from um, armed conflict as well. You've got multiple environmental issues. So part of the part of the reason we've started to collate this information is to actually document that and as we collect more data from what has been damaged because we know what land use has existed we knew where we know where the factories have been etc then we're actually able to almost develop up a matrix as to how we would then go in and assess that nature actually doesn't stop at the border right um, how will countries <clears throat> of the region including russia itself uh, be affected so again because the conflict is ongoing it's actually very hard to um, answer that question but again if you have damage to a particular hazardous facility in Ukraine and you have air emissions from that facility on a border with another country of course that's going to impact that country even the fact that you have so many people who have been displaced and who have moved from their homes many of whom have been living in other areas they've been living in forests there are waste issues there there are water issues there so we've got not only has nature been degraded it's also been further impacted from environmental damage from the ongoing conflict and of course that's a risk for ukraine but also for neighboring countries because air water and land and nature don't stop at borders. Uh, we are not there yet, of course, but what it will no. take to restore the environment after this war? Yeah, wow. I mean, firstly, you know, we, we clearly would like to see the conflict cease and end um, and as soon as possible, because the longer it goes on, the more issues uh, that will occur. And I say from our um, June report to the number of incidents now, clearly we just compiling more information about more damage and hence there will be environmental releases and issues. So I think the main, what what we are trying to help in the Ukrainian government is we'll need to consider in its recovery once the conflict is over is a green recovery, but it also means that it's going to have to assess the multiple environmental issues in particular locations and work out how it's going to rebuild and recover because what you don't want to do is bring people back into an area where they are then subject to air, land or um, water contamination, you know, where they may not have water supplies, etc. So there's going to be a lot of assessment work to actually help determine um, where, where the most likely uh, areas are for recovery in the short term and then what will be required to um, remediate or rehabilitate other areas down the track. Is there something Ukraine and the international community can do now to decrease the impact while the war is ongoing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think it's exceedingly difficult to decrease impact in this sort of scenario. Perhaps what you can do, though, is provide advice to people living in these areas to help protect themselves from exposure 
and that's about how they understand what's happened in the environment and to in, to avoid those locations where there might be contamination to you know restrict where you know know where you're getting your water supply from um, make sure that where your food supply is is not being contaminated from say fuel that might have released from a near area and so I uh, we do know that um, authorities in Ukraine are doing testing of water and soil etc so there is that information happening so you're able to protect the community and certainly in terms of um, responding to damage where you've got factories and uh, where you have uh, damage to particular types of infrastructure you can for example start to bund uh, where, where you where you've got um, a large area that might have say fuel or chemicals leaking off a site authorities can certainly put in place um, earthen buns and um, or, or soil and, and sandbags and things like that to prevent the further migration. But I think that's probably unrealistic because if you're, if you're in a conflict situation like that, you're probably trying to protect life and property and um, the environment comes down. But there are certainly measures that could be taken to help think about those things so that you're not making the problem worse. But I think when, when we've seen the number of incidents across the number of regions, I think that's quite a hard ask. Everything looks doom and gloom right now, but even in these circumstances, what gives you hope? You know, Can we give uh, hope, some glimpse of hope to millions of Ukrainians who maybe will be reading? Uh, yeah, for, for millions of Ukrainians, as I say, um, of course, our hearts go out to them. I think... You know, this is a terrible situation and we just continue to advocate for the conflict to stop. I think one of the key things, though, in rebuilding is that the opportunity now is to really think about green and sustainable recovery. So putting in place all of those measures to have a really good um, rebuilding of Ukraine that takes into account these environmental facets and so that the way that you build back, you know, that that language that was used after COVID, which is build back better, well, that's absolutely relevant to this. And so I think that there are great opportunities to actually think about how how areas should be be built, right from from the types of materials to the types of energy use, to where the water comes from, to to building in a way that's sustainable, that protects nature that protects agriculture, that protects our water supply. So I think there's actually a huge opportunity in this post-recovery phase when it occurs to start thinking about those things. I think that's positive and I think, you know, um, that would be a great outcome from such a terrible situation. So uh, while it is, is a challenging situation at the moment, maybe once it ends, maybe there's going to be some really interesting and innovative ways that rebuilding can occur. It's very hard to be definitive about um, what's happening. I mean, as I say, we can see from the images and, and from the types of damage that's occurred that, it, that it's substantial. And I think the, the thing that I would say is that when you you know you want to rebuild really quickly everyone would want to everyone wants to go home everyone wants life to go back 
to how it would be. And I think the only thing I would say is take the opportunity now to actually look at how you want to build back and make sure that you don't leave a legacy for future generations and deal with some of the problems that that will be evident when people go back. So to think about that in terms of recovery and development. But, you know, we stand ready to help the Ukrainian government uh, in this environmental space. As I say, we've been working with the authorities. We're trying to help undertake training and other activities and um, that no one's alone. We're in this together.